Um, we are continuing on in our journey through the New Testament. And um, the interesting thing about this, this particular process that we're in is that it's, it's not necessarily just like, you know, sermon after sermon after sermon. It's topic after topic after topic. Wherever we are in the, in the passages is where we are in our conversation. And sometimes you end up where, like where we are today where you're not really dealing with topics that are going to be, you know, full sermons. You know, two two verses about a healing. Uh, you can't really spend you know, f- you know, the, the, you know, an hour and a half what I normally speak on. No, I'm kidding. About 35, 40 minutes talking about just that. So you end up kind of clicking through multiple sections and just observing kind of what's going on. And this particular conversation, what we're talking about, is the power of God. I know the title of the message is a little weird: healing power, demons, and pigs. That's basically what we're talking about today. But we're talking about the power of Christ in various situations throughout our lives. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to be reading down through these sections of Scripture and just making some observations uh, through the preparation, different things I I came across in terms of history, uh, uh, theology, miracles. And it's it's amazing because if there's one thing that people in the church like to hear about is the miraculous. Everyone loves to, you know, there's a revival breaking out. And that's, it's interesting when you hear people say there's a revival breaking out and you ask them, wow, that's great. What do you mean? Like, oh, there's miracles and healings. It's like, why is that a revival? <laughs> why can't that just be miracles and healings? A revival is when mass groups of people are coming to know Christ, having their sins forgiven. That's a revival. Miracles and healings shouldn't be quite so um, out of the ordinary. You know, Jesus heals, Jesus performs miracles. It's really just that simple. But we are so drawn to those things, it's actually created a situation within the church where you're going to find one side of the church that will say, Jesus always, I heard this, I heard this, a guy was preaching about this online, and I thought, well, that's very interesting. He obviously has never read his Bible. He said, Jesus never met anyone who was sick that he didn't heal. He heals everybody. So any and so if you're a Christian and you know Jesus, then you should not have sickness in your body and you should be healed. And if you're not healed, it's your fault. And I thought, that's very interesting because that's not what the Bible teaches at all about the miracles of Christ. And all you have to do is really simple things like read the beginning of Mark. How about this? I can't read with my glasses on. <laughs> 134 through 38, it says, And then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a a long while before the daylight, he went out and departed in a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who uh, who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they had said, Everyone is looking for you. But then he said, Let us go to the next town that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. Jesus had spent the day before just just healing everyone who came to him. And he knew that that's what the next day was going to be like. Now, I want you to to, to think about this in terms of the miraculous. Jesus knew hundreds of sick people were coming to him. And his response to his disciples were, let's get out of here before people start showing up. And his answer is amazing. Because I came to preach the gospel. That's really hard for some people to take. You think, now wait a second. (laughs) If he could just heal, why doesn't he? Because sometimes your healing is not the best thing for you. See, God's got a plan that we don't understand. And if we would simply put our faith in that, sometimes 
He allows us to stay right where we are for a reason. So some people, I don't know why, some people he heals, some people he doesn't. But no matter how you look at it, whatever choice he makes is the right choice. So as we're looking at these healings, these miracles, these things going on in this, in this, uh, in this particular chapter, I want you to be thinking not about the moment of the miracle or the miracle itself. I want you to be thinking about the things going on around it. Because that is so much more important to us than just some, you know, Jesus mad, you know, waving his magic wand and all of a sudden everything is better. There's so much more going on around that can speak into our lives. That we can learn something about the character and nature of God. <clears throat> that is going to be far more impactful in your life than a miracle. I've known plenty of people in my life who have received miracles from God and didn't stay with God. But I've known also a ton of people in my life who have been praying for healings for decades and decades and haven't gotten them, and it's drawn them closer to God. So it's important that we understand there's more going on than just the miracle. So check this out. Starting right off in, uh, in Matthew 8, starting in verse 1, we read this. When he had come down from the mountains, remember he was, he was just a sermon on the mount, so now he's coming down from the mountains, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gifts that Moses command as a testimony to them. Every time I see an encounter with a leper throughout the New Testament, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me for a couple different reasons. The first one is that leprosy was an absolutely terrible disease. I believe today it's, uh, it's actually called Hansen's disease, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a real thing. Back then, they thought it was, it was crazy contagious. If you were just around someone, you'd get it. It was a horrible, horrible disease where your, your skin, your body just rotted. And your, your nerve endings would become so inflamed, you'd, you'd wrap yourselves in these bandages for a couple of reasons. One was literally to hold yourself together. Because advanced stages, you might be walking around, bump into something. I know it's gross, but it's the way it is. Your arm just sort of falls off. Not good. You might pick that up. I'll put it back later. You know, it's just, it's really, bleh. So it was a nasty disease, which is why when people would come into villages, it was the duty of everyone in that village to scream as loud as they could, unclean, unclean. They would warn people, unclean. And people would, kids were trained from very little to throw rocks at these people. They were so outcast. It was, it, it, it me think of the most vile, disgusting thing you can ever think of, and it's literally walking into your, to your neighborhood, and you think it's going to turn everyone like that. Like that was the leper in the early biblical times, in the first century. Now, second is the way leprosy is discussed. It's never talked about. When you ever hear you hear uh, about a leper, you don't hear them about uh, you don't hear about them being ill. You hear about them being unclean. And whenever Jesus would heal one, it wasn't a healing; it was a cleansing. Did you read right there? If it, you're willing, you can make me 
clean. And Jesus says, I'm willing, be clean. That's fascinating because we know it's a disease, but they looked at it as being unclean. Even way back in Leviticus, you were, you were, you were, uh, if you had leprosy, you were unclean, meaning unfit to be before God. That's pretty serious, ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go into the temple. You couldn't bring an offering. You had to be made clean first. And according to the law, whenever a leper would touch a clean person, the clean person was made unclean. Every time, except for one person. Every time Jesus touched a leper, the leper was made clean. That's something very cool. Something that literally no one else had the ability to do. Every time a leper came in, no matter what that leper touched, it was now unclean. But every time Jesus touched a leper, that leper was made clean. Not just healed, but clean. That's pretty cool. (coughs) If nothing else, I would look at this section and let it remind me that there is nothing in my life that I believe makes me unclean that a touch from Jesus can't make clean. We spend far too much time in our lives worrying about the unclean coming into our presence. Does this make sense to you? The unclean comes into our presence and we yell, unclean! We have different words for it today. We have a lot of different words for it today. So some of the unclean words that we think about today sound like this. Divorced! Pregnant before marriage! Homosexual! Trans! Alcoholic! Drug addict! When we do that and we label those people, we're letting everyone else around us know. Because we're not gossiping, we're sharing because we're Christians. It's different. We're sharing our burden so that other people can be warned that the unclean is now in our presence. I've heard this from people around. I haven't heard it from anyone in here, and I'm saying that honestly. I I visit a lot of places. People say, I don't know what would happen if I had gay people come into my church. And I thought for a second, like, I get what you're trying to say, but you're not saying it very well. Because what you're saying is, I don't know what would happen if blatant sin walked in the door of the church looking for help. Let me put it another way. You know, as an emergency room doctor, I'm not exactly sure what would happen if someone bleeding or with a broken bone came into the ER. I don't know what to do. Hospitals are for healthy people. No. Hospitals are for sick people. You know what the church is for? Sinners. Just like you. (laughs) You see, when we worry about the unclean in our presence, we can't 
put our heads in where in the place where it needs to be. And the place where it needs to be is that the same Jesus that could touch the unclean and make it clean lives in me. So if that same Jesus lives in me, if I can bring myself to the point where I, I am able to get my life into the unclean, that same Jesus in me will make that unclean clean. But I've got to get... I've got to get past the desire to want to throw rocks at the leper. Because that's what we've been trained to do our whole lives. To separate ourselves from the unclean because we are the righteous ones. Even though Jesus sent us into the world like lambs before the slaughter. Telling us that we are to confront the evil and make the evil clean to make the unclean clean you can't make the unclean clean if you refuse to get close to it there is nothing in this world that we would look at as unclean and all those things that i mentioned they're unclean but there's nothing about any of them that cannot be made clean if we just allow jesus to touch it but jesus doesn't walk the earth anymore you do And that same Jesus is in you. So don't be afraid of the unclean. It doesn't make you unclean. Your job is to make it clean. That means we got to risk. It also means we got to not compromise in the journey. Let's keep moving on. Verse 5 says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, Excuse me. A centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered, said, Lord, I'm not worthy. Excuse me. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and say another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, uh, uh, and to my servant, do this, and he does. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, uh, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into utter darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed the same hour. There's a lot of very interesting things in this passage. Let's look at a couple. The first one is that the centurion was a commander of about 80 to 100 men. They weren't, you know, they weren't over thousands. Century is where we get our term. Centurion is where we get our term. Century, meaning 100. But given his rank... That meant he had money and he had stature. He had a reputation he had to protect. He was a leader in the army of Rome. That was not a small thing. <clears throat> if you think about it today, uh, the rank-wise, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of a full bird colonel, somewhere around there. You don't take your reputation lightly at that rank. You guard yourself very carefully because of what you represent. Now, secondly... He publicly calls Jesus Lord. He is a leader in the army of Rome. Rome looked at Israel as maggots. They were the worst of the worst. They were just horrible people. And here it is, a centurion in that city, someone respected and even feared, 
publicly coming to Jesus and he calls him Lord, placing him under Jesus publicly. The humility this man carried was astounding. Even with his rank and authority, he knew he was below Christ. The third thing is he cared about his servant so much that he went looking for Jesus himself. He could have easily sent another servant. He didn't have just one servant in his house. This guy probably had 10 or 20. And chances are the servant he's talking about was a paid for slave. Property. He owned this guy. He cared so much for his servant that he left his own property humbled himself before the people he was ruling over and went to find Jesus on behalf of a slave. That tells you something about the character of this man. And fourth, he knows that being seen going in and out of his home would probably be publicly humiliating for Jesus. When he says, I'm not worthy that you would be in my home, he knows that from the standpoint of the Israelites, seeing Christ going in and out of a centurion's home would be harmful to Jesus' reputation in Capernaum. So he takes steps to safeguard the reputation of Christ. Now, that's a very interesting thing. And that statement surprises Christ. He says, this guy has amazing faith. I haven't even seen this kind of faith even in Israel. So let me ask a couple of questions in regard to this. Are we told whether or not the servant is a believer? No. We have no idea if that, centur- if that servant even knows who Jesus is. I'm guessing because the centurion does, I'm guessing the servant does as well. But we know nothing about the servant. How about this? Was the centurion a believer or did he just simply re- recognize the authority that Jesus had? We don't know that either. It was not uncommon for people who operated in spiritual power, we'll just put it that way, would gain recognition and high-ranking people would seek after them for whatever they could get from them. So we don't know whether or not he was, you are, you know, you are Jesus, Lord over my life, or was he just recognizing power? I don't, I don't know. We're not told. And one of the reasons I think we're not told is because I don't think it matters to God. I don't think it makes a hill of beans difference to God who is being prayed for. Let me put it to you this way. If you intercede for a miracle for for one of your friends and that friend is not a believer, is the response you're going to get, my dear child, I would if they were saved. But since they're not saved... Let him suffer. That, that's not what happens. I've known plenty of people who have received miracles, even in my own family. Weren't believers then? Not believers today. Miracle still is still in place. The healing is still, is still there. God doesn't care. He moves as he sees fit. Half the time, the reason we're interceding for people and their needs is not about their needs. It's about our heart. 
See, we think we reach a place in our Christianity where our authority in God gives us the ability to speak into the lives of the other, the others. No, that is not the whole point. Half the time, Jesus wants you to be praying for other people to soften you. To get to you. Because if you're earnestly praying for the welfare of another, you're not elevating yourselves above them. You're placing yourself under them. Father, I cannot, I cannot do anything in this person's life to help them, and they need help. I am asking you to, to involve yourself in this person's life. So it's not that very difficult to do. So why don't we do it more often? <laughs> I make kids cry all the time. It's fine. I make adults cry. I make, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all good. Weeping, gnashing of teeth, it's just part of the ministry. Uh. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. The people in your life that you know that need Christ, are you trying to get them to church so that they can pray for themselves? Or are you trying to get God to move in their life on their behalf in ways that they don't even know they need? So that's different. Exactly. See, it's, it's different. Too many times we find ourselves as Christians trying to get people to a physical place where we think they need to be to receive something that they could literally receive anywhere. This building is nothing special. This is a really big rectangle. It's all it is. There are still people who go, but before we put our sign up, People were wondering if we were like long-term storage. You know, those of you who've been here long enough when we were building the first building, we had that weird mosquito pit in the front. I'm not kidding. The guy stopped in. He's like, hey, what's going on here? And the construction guy who knew perfectly well what was going on said, oh, that's going to be a fast track. (laughs) That little pit out there, that's where the pumps are going to go. The owner of the construction company told me, laughing his face off, because he knew that guy was going to drive by at some point in time and go, how'd that become a church? <laughs> depending, on the, depending on the fellowship bill, you can still come here and get, get uh, never mind, anyway. It's just, it's just different. Um, <laughs> so you're gonna, did he really just say, yes, I did, yes, I did. Because we all know it's true. Anyway, moving right along. Now, here's the thing about this. I don't know if these people were believers before Jesus, Jesus connected with their lives, but I'd be willing to bet they were afterwards. I'd be willing to bet they were afterwards. And I think too often we keep ourselves from speaking into the lives of others because we can't imagine what will happen on the other side. If Jesus, if Jesus actually connects with this person, what's, what's going, going to go on? And am I prepared for that? You shouldn't have that in your mind at all. What you should be thinking is, this person needs Christ. I have Christ. I can pray for that person. And then it's up to Jesus to do whatever he wants. It's not up to me. My job is to intercede for them, not pretend I'm Jesus and declare things over them. How many of you heard, you know, we need to be decreeing and declaring familiar with a lot of you? Just, just stop. You know how much authority we have in the spirit world? About that much. 
You know who has all the authority in the spirit world? Jesus does. I'm going to trust him. You know, like I said, if I can't reach the top shelf at Walmart, I'm probably not telling the devil what to do. Just saying. Let's go to verse 14. It says, now Jesus had come into Peter's house and he saw his, mother's, his mother laying sick uh, with a fever. He touched, her, uh, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and served them. And when evening had, evening had come, they brought him uh, many who were demon-possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now, obviously, Jesus healed Peter's mother because he didn't want to make dinner. Very clear in that passage, right? No. <clears throat> the only point I want to make here is, is, is really simple. We're told very clearly why he did this. To let people know and to remind people that he took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. Now, over the years, like many of you, I have known many injuries. And uh, I still refer to those injuries as old friends who like to drop in unannounced. To remind me they still know who I am. You know, like when you sneeze, your back goes out, you fall to the ground. You're like, your wife's going, it happened again, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Just pick me up and be quiet. <laughs> and I'll be honest, there's a lot of times, you know, you're just, you're walking around and you're just in pain. You just have this, <clears throat> something's going on and you can't understand why God wouldn't, wouldn't inter- intervene for your behalf. There's plenty of times, especially when I had my neck surgery, I, I, I didn't understand why God did, get, didn't get involved with this thing. God, I gave you my life. I walked away from a career. Here I am in Copenhagen. I like to golf. You know how, many, how long of a golf season I have living in Copenhagen? Eight days. That's, that's it. Just, okay, it might be longer than eight days, but you understand. The same time that I got offered the church here, I got offered to take over a series of restaurants 15 minutes from Daytona. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I knew where I was supposed to be. I am where I'm supposed to be. But I'm not immune from asking God, why would you... Why? Why, why did you not, why are you not healing me? What is the deal? And I know a lot of people who have that same frustration. Things happen in your lives. There's a lot of people here with broken bodies and broken hearts, and you don't know why God hasn't intervened. Here's something that I do know. There is a reason. I don't know the reason. I don't need to know the reason, but I do know he has a reason and that's all I have to trust. I may never experience the healing that I'm looking for on this side of eternity, but here's something I can guarantee you. However long I live on this earth is nothing compared to the length of time we will be in eternity. So it doesn't matter what I have to go through physically here. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, what's, what's the worst that can happen? Someone sends me to heaven? Okay, express pass. I'm good. There should be no fear of what we would experience here. I mean, don't be an idiot, but still. We just need to trust. 
that he took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And if we're still carrying him around, there's a purpose for that. Find the purpose. It might be because God knows without it, you'd walk away from him. There's a very real, there, there's a lot of reality in that statement. Matthew, uh, starting in verse 18, it says, When Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds have, uh, have the air, uh, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. <clears throat> this is a little harsh. Jesus said, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now when he had gotten into the boat, his disciples followed him. Yeesh. Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. Just let me bury my dad. Let somebody else bury your dad. If you're going to follow me, follow me. That, that, that's, that's, a little, that's a little harsh. But two things to mention in, this, in this, this part. One, following Jesus isn't easy. Wait till we get to Matthew 13. You want to see something harsh. It's easy to look at the gifts and the forgiveness and the eternal life that Jesus promises and get excited about what we gain on the other side of this life. But it's different when you take the time to consider what you may have to walk away from on this side of eternity. You ever given that consideration? I got entrance into heaven. That's great. You're not there yet. So will you walk it out in this life? The scribe that was talking to Jesus was one of the religious elite. He was more than likely used to a very comfortable life. And more than likely, he announced publicly that he would follow Jesus anywhere so that he would have some notoriety. So the people would know, ooh, this scribe is also willing to follow Jesus. And Jesus, probably knowing full well that this guy wasn't serious about it all, lets him know the comfortable life that you're used to doesn't exist anymore. You might not even have a place to lay your head. You might not have something to eat. You might be cold. You might be naked. You might be getting a lot of trouble if you follow me. You notice he didn't say, that, nowhere does it say that the scribe was like, woohoo, let's go. That's the last you hear of him. When we say Jesus is Lord over my life, you can bet that that's going to be tested. It's going to be tested. Are you serious about that? Is he really Lord over your life? Or do you just like the idea of heaven? That's a good question. Now, the second thing about this is that Jesus was God. He could have done and had anything he wanted in order to make his life more comfortable. He seriously could have just, just asked the angels to bring him stuff. After he was tempted in the desert, what happened? Angels came and took care of him. He says multiple times, all I got to do is ask, and the army of my father will come down, do whatever it is I, I need them to do. He was God, and he's saying, sometimes I don't have a bed. Sometimes I have no place to sleep, nothing to eat. Now, this is interesting because what this says to me was that in the role of ministry, it is not, should not be our desire to pursue the comfortable life. I've met a lot of people over the years who see people like Joel Osteen, Stephen Furtick, T.D. Jakes, Creflo Dollar, all the big names. And the life they live, and they think, I want to get in ministry, and I want to get to that level. 
Here's a question for you. Is that level something anyone should ever strive for? Is that God honoring? Kenneth Copeland lives on a $100 million estate paid for by people who donate to his ministry. 100, and it's not ministry property, it's his. He also has a private airport and seven jets. Some of those jets are upwards of 60 to $80 million. That's above the value of the property, by the way. Meanwhile, people like that are constantly asking their congregations to dig deep to fund the efforts of the ministry. What efforts? <laughs> what efforts? You go to one of their events, they're going to pass the basket. You're going to buy a ticket. That event's paid for before that person even steps into it. What events are they, what ministry are they talking about? What they're talking about is that comfortable life that they think they deserve being a servant of God. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, sometimes I sleep on a rock. Now, I don't have any trouble with someone making money. Honestly, I don't even have trouble with a pastor making a lot of money outside of the ministry. And as long as they understand that that money is not there to make them comfortable. That money is there as a blessing of God to be put into the, into the ministry to bring the gospel to the world. I think it breaks God's heart to see the way people in ministry pursue comfort over the ministry. I travel the world. I deserve to be comfortable. Yeah, okay, I can, you know, I can live with that. But can you be comfortable, I don't know, riding first class in a plane rather than paying $80 million for your private jet and then another fifty, eighty, dollars or $100,000 for your private pilot and then another sixty or $70 million throughout the year or, or the lifetime of the plane for, for uh, repair and upkeep? I mean, can we put the money where it's going to do the most good? You see, we're pursuing things that don't matter. I'm only blessed of God if I have a big car, if I have a big house, a nice car, comfortable retirement, lots of vacations, plenty of money. That's how I know that I'm pleasing God. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, I didn't eat today. There's something important that needs to be understood in that. In my opinion, ministers like that honestly need to be ashamed of themselves. Because it hurts the work of the church. It really does. One of the main reasons, I've been doing this for 30 years now in, in ministry, I've, I've, you know, and a lot of you have been doing this even longer. One of the main reasons I know that people don't give is because of those examples. They say, I don't want to give to that. And you know what? I don't blame you. I wouldn't want to give to that either. It hurts the church. Jesus is saying there's a different way. We should be paying attention to that way. Let's keep moving on. Verse 24. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was uh, covered with the waves, uh, but he was asleep. Then the disciples came to him and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're perishing. But he said, why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. Then he arose, rebuked the winds and the seas, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, who can this be? Even the winds and the seas obey him. I love this because even the disciples are like confused at who this guy is. 
He's been healing people and casting out demons and doing miracles for, for quite a while now. And just like, who does this guy think he is? What is he, like the son of God or something? The other thing I like about this is that most scholars agree that the term rebuke <coughs> was not Jesus going, Thou shalt obey me, O wind and waves. And he did this long, you know, crazy prayer, obviously in King James English, to make the, you know, most of them agree that the rebuke there was Jesus basically getting up, look at the disciples going, what is wrong with you? And Jesus going, shut up! And the waves and the wind were like, oh, sorry, we didn't know you were in the boat. Last thing we want to do is rock the boat. <laughs> yep. But here's what I want you to walk away from with this. There is no storm in your life that cannot be calmed if you allow Jesus to speak into it. Did you hear me? There's no storm in your life or in the lives of the people around you that cannot be calm if you allow Jesus to speak into it. Here's why we have this trouble in our life. We think that means Jesus physically speaking into it. Here's the thing. Every storm that could possibly be in your life has already been spoken into. You just don't know the words. Here are the words. If you want Jesus to speak into the storms of your life, go find him. Because you have a question, he has an answer. It's right here. It's right in these pages. But you have to go find it. And you have to put your faith in it. And you have to believe that it means what it says. The power and the presence of God does you no good if you don't even know it exists. I wonder what Jesus would say in this situation. Stop wondering. He literally wrote a book. You know, if there was some place that Jesus would just tell us what to do in these situations, it would make things so much easier. He wrote a book. You know, if God could just tell me how to, how, what to do in this situation, I'm just, I'm so lost. He wrote a book and he answered all these questions. Stop using your Bibles as really expensive coasters and start using them for what they're meant to, which is to speak into your lives and change who you are from the inside. Last piece. I think we're making pretty good time here. When he had come to the other side of the country of whatever that name is, there he met him, two, de- uh, two demon-possessed men, coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? We'll get to that in a second. Now, a good way off from there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged, saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go into the herd of swine. And Jesus said, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down down the steep place to the sea and perished in the water. Then those uh, who kept them fled, and they went away to the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city, whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave. <laughs> That's how you know someone's afraid of power. This is amazing. Would you mind leaving? <laughs> I'm a little uncomfortable with you here. 
The evil within the two demon-possessed men knew who Jesus was. <coughs> That's amazing to me. This is also why earlier we heard Jesus say he refused to allow the demons to speak because they knew him. The demons recognized Jesus, and they asked, I think, one of the most amazing questions that keeps getting overlooked. Have you come to torment us before the time? Now, the, the, the Greek word in there is kairos. And the basic application means at the appointed time or the event. And they're saying, have you come to torment us before the appointed end of time? Is what they're saying. Which I think is amazing because what that lets me know is the two demon men, the demon possessed men, all the demons in them knew that there was an appointed time at the end of time where they're done. They knew they had no authority over Christ. They knew they had no authority over the situation. All they could do was make the best of the situation that they were in. They're afraid of the end. Think about that. The demons are afraid of the end. We're not. We're we're waiting for the end. James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe, at least they tremble. It also makes me wonder if modern-day Christianity has an understanding and a healthy fear of the Lord. Because Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When I say I believe, it's one thing. But to live as though I believe is something completely different. Okay, You can say you believe. But the question is, do you believe? Let me, let me illustrate this. Now, I believe that combinations of flour, eggs, sugar, chocolate, and cocoa in excessive quantities are bad for me. I believe that. Okay? I do. Because I'm a little fat guy. It's the way it works. I believe it. I've seen the results. I took the test. Passed. But here's something else. I know it's bad for me. I don't care. It's going to take a minute. (laughs) I totally should have broke that in half. The reason I don't care is because I know where that came from. That came from Crumb's Bake bake Shop in Lowville. That's right. May you overestimate your needs on a regular basis. (laughs) Mm -mm. You see, believing something in your mind and living something in your life are two completely different things. I know a lot of people who believe that Jesus is Lord. And they live like they're not accountable to him. They believe that Jesus saves, but they don't believe they need to be saved. You understand what I'm saying? Our world is in the trouble that it is in because the church has spent too much time saying it believes. And not enough time proving it. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. We're spending our time yelling at the world 
unclean. Unclean. You see, that's, you may believe that God can make them clean, but you don't want to have any part in it. You may believe that your friends need a touch from God, but you don't want to be the one inter- interceding for them. You understand what I'm saying? You may believe that God can calm the storms in somebody else's life, but you don't believe that he can calm the storms in your life. You may say you believe, but the testimony of your life says something very different. Here's something I've been really convicted of lately, and I'm going I'm to end with this. And I'm going to prove that because I'm going to close my book. Some of you are like, he's not ending. Here's something I've been very convicted of lately. And I don't know why I fell into this habit. I just, I just did. Out at restaurants. I don't pray for my meal. I don't, I don't, like I said, nothing. He's like, oh, you pray for your meal. Yeah, look, I'm a human. I get into, I get into to rush just like you do. And sometimes, honestly, I'm just hungry. I'm alone in my car and I've got Chick-fil-A. Fries are getting cold. Right? It's obviously blessed God's chicken. <laughs> That's great. Amen. This is a question that I've honestly, honestly been dealing with uh, just, just in myself. And maybe you're dealing with the same thing. Am I thankful anymore? Or am I comfortable? See, when you don't have what you need and you get provided for, you're thankful. But when you have a decent amount and you just exist, it's very easy to walk away from being thankful and become expectant. Am I thankful? I don't know. It's it's a difficult path to walk, isn't it? To actually turn the light inward and ask ask the questions of ourselves. Does the testimony of my life prove what I believe? Or does it prove that I don't actually believe it? That's an important conversation to have, isn't it? I'm going to leave you right there. (laughs) Take this week and start asking yourself some very simple questions. Does my life speak what I believe? Or does it leave people guessing? Because the power of God is available, we just ask.